This episode, we discuss birth trauma and birth injury, which may be triggering for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Bitching and Bolusing podcast with Courtney and Brittany. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Bitching and Bolusing podcast. I'm Brittany. I'm Courtney. And today we have a special guest with us. We have Jamie. Some of you may know her from her social media uh, at the Chong fam. Jamie is a loving mother to two beautiful children and a supportive, caring wife. She gave up her 13-year career in the fields of special education to become a full-time stay-at-home mom, caretaker, chauffeur, chef, therapist, and practically a nurse at this point to her four-year-old son and his 18-month-old sister. It goes without saying that her days are very full, but when she has a little bit of downtime, she enjoys family outings, whether it's going to the lake, taking a trip to the zoo, or just spending quality time on a family walk. Jamie has taken a lot of titles since the birth of her son, and Advocate is at the top of that list. She is a fierce advocate for her son, Asher, and spends endless hours researching, scheduling, blending feeds, and speaking with other families. Jamie has gained a significant social media following where she has been a vital resource for other families, providing support and information, especially when medical professionals have failed those families. Throughout her journey, Jamie has flawlessly managed to share her family's journey through medical complexity while still maintaining privacy for her children. Both Brittany and I admire you so much, Jamie, and we are so excited to have you on the show. Hi. Hi. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Jamie, your story is actually really similar to both Brittany and I. Since we've got you on here, why don't we start there? Do you want to talk a little bit about your birth trauma and Asher's injury? Sure. So yes, very similar paths we are walking on, the three of us. Asher has HIE, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. Um, It was caused by a birth injury. So lack of oxygen during his delivery. Yeah, I had a really uncomplicated pregnancy. I I was very high risk. I found out at 30 years old that I have a uterine anomaly and only one kidney. So doctors thought and I thought that it was going to be a pretty high risk pregnancy and I was at risk for preterm labor and delivery. Everything was went beautifully. Um, I carried him full term. The fact that I had the one kidney put me at higher risk for preeclampsia. So that was something that like we were monitoring really closely. I was, you know, checking my blood pressure multiple times a day. Everything was like really great up until, you know, the day before he was born. I started my blood pressure started like climbing and I called the labor and delivery. The nurse kind of blew me off and her blowing me off kind of made me like, okay, I guess maybe I'm just being like a paranoid first time mom. Everything's fine, whatever. I ended up, my water broke that night, had very fast labor. I went from my water breaking to fully dilated. And I think it was maybe under like close to an hour and a half pushed for a very long time, way too long. And, you know, just things were going wrong during the the delivery that, you know, I just wasn't really aware of, I guess. Mm. Just my focus was very much on the natural labor and doing it unmedicated and no medical interventions. And 
I, I don't, I wasn't necessarily vocalizing those things, but internally, like I was really, that was a, a big focus of mine. So long story short, you know, he, they, they were not, they were having a hard time tracking his heart rate. They ended up doing a crash C-section. They put me under, locked my husband out of the room. Asher was born. Neither one of his parents were present, um, but we were told that he wasn't breathing. When he was born, he had to be resuscitated. My husband, the first time he saw him was when they were bagging him, running him through the hallway uh, over to the NICU. And I woke up from that experience and there was no husband and no baby. And really like no one was telling me what was happening. I, I say it was literally like a, like a scene out of Handmaid's Tale where just, you know, (laughs) you wake up completely alone. And, um, so long story short, he suffered a, a, a brain injury. He was in the NICU for, for 29 days, lots of highs and lows through that. Yeah, it's good got his g-tube that was what kept him in the NICU the longest was trying to figure out the bottle um feeding journey (laughs) yes so came home with the with the g-tube and pretty gnarly scary and emotional and so that's kind of in a nutshell the the birth story so some of our listeners may know that the three of us are kind of friends virtually and we talk a lot we text a lot we know a lot about each other's families and our stories and we are each three examples of what we touch on in previous episodes that toxic baby culture and that lack of education and support uh, for pregnant women and that birthing story it's it's affected all three of us in a very similar way and it is it's just it's so traumatizing and it is so sad that each of us had to go through what we went through. But I am so glad that I'm on this journey with you guys. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be here with anybody else. So thank you, Jamie, for sharing your story because we totally know yes. that it's not easy to verbalize it. No matter how many times we've told it, I'm sure you've told it a dozen times, but it always, it always just, just kind of gets you in that gut every time, you know? <sighs> I still sweat when I talk about I it. Know. I still get like that racing yes. heart and like <laughs> I lose my train of thought because I start panicking and I, I'm feeling it right now while you right? were telling your story. Yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> like yeah. sweating over here because yes. the stories are just so similar, um, especially in our cases where we had relatively healthy pregnancies. You know, I had some higher risk aspects as well, but our pregnancies actually ended up being really beautiful and, and very healthy. And there were no complications during the, the entire pregnancy. It's just that labor and delivery aspect that that went south. So yeah, it's it's very relatable. I should note too, I almost died. Well, <laughs> from, yeah, that's the I did develop preeclampsia. Oh, man. Uh, that I forgot to mention that part and they thought that I had had a stroke and oh, I literally caught a glimpse of myself in the the mirror wheeling through to the ambulance and I was so swollen I was unrecognizable. Oh my god. So, yeah, it's another thing just that's another layer. Yep. Not only were you potentially almost losing your child is your own life you know and what that would have looked like for your family there's so mu- there's so much trauma involved with with what happened with you so you just really thank you for sharing it and I I would love to ask about the toxic baby culture too because I know Courtney and I had mentioned it in our first episode and even Courtney with you having some risks and Jamie with you having you know risks in the pregnancy as well I kind of felt like this with my pregnancy but did you both kind of feel like that whole toxic baby culture of like just advocate for yourself and you know avoid Pitocin and do all that like did you feel 
that was your way of having control in something that there's no control over. I felt like if I did all of these things, nothing would really go wrong because nobody ever said it could still go wrong. So I had an interesting experience that I think is a little bit different from you guys, only because I didn't go in with it with the mentality of like, oh, it's got to be a natural birth, no Pitocin, no this, no that. I actually, my doctor never even discussed those things with me. And I was even given an injection that I didn't even know what it was. Mm. So (laughs) there was a lot of stuff that I really fully was uneducated from from the get-go. And I, to this day, still don't fully understand what medically they did to me or what happened (laughs) Um, wow. it's still very confusing to me. So I didn't necessarily go in there with that mindset, Brittany, but I went in there with the mindset that every time I saw a doctor and they said everything looked great and everything was fine, that everything was going to be great and everything was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, mm-hmm. I really just felt that they were the, the authority and they understood what was happening with me and I had to trust that. Um, and I shouldn't be questioning in it. And in hindsight, obviously, I really wish I questioned a lot of stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I wish I, I yeah. advocated differently for myself, but I really I put all that power into their hands. I agree. Um, for me, it was more the notion that medical intervention was bad and I feel like they really pushed that in my birthing class. It was very heavily focused on breathing techniques and, you know, how to get through a natural labor. There was no discussion about what do you do if things don't go the way you want them to go or how to how to advocate for yourself. I just thought natural birth good, C-section bad. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, if it was heading towards a C-section in my mind, um, I just felt like that was like, the worst case scenario. And that really clouded my judgment that night. And it prevented me, I think, from being able to advocate for Asher in that moment, even though it made me go against my intuition because Mm. I felt things were wrong. But who am I? You know, these medical professionals, they're supposed to be doing, you know, taking, taking control of the situation. And you put the trust into these people. And I'm a first time mom. You know, I've never given birth before. And there's there's a lot of that too. Well, oh, you're going to have, you're, it's your first baby. You're going to have a, an 18 hour labor or you're going to be here a while. Get comfortable. Um, yeah. I would also even say that how you mentioned that you felt dismissed um, at, at some point when you spoke to the nurse at the labor and delivery unit, that was the feeling that stuck with me the most from that day that I gave birth. That feeling of being dismissed. I did have concerns. I voiced those concerns and I was treated like I was a first time mom who had no idea what I was talking about and everything was fine. And that feeling still haunts me to this day because I really, like you said, it was intuition. I really did feel something was very wrong. And I I hate myself sometimes that I didn't fight for that. And I was in a very similar situation. I actually remember towards the end of my delivery, knowing that Cyrus was literally stuck. And I said it out loud. I was like, this baby's stuck. I'm pushing. I think he's getting pulled back in. I think I can't do this. I can't push anymore. Something's wrong. Take me to a C-section. 
And it was just, that just means you're close. That's all. It just means you're almost there. And I was like, great. Baby's coming soon. (laughs) I remember screaming, I'm dying. I'm going to die. I remember saying that multiple times, looking Stefano, my husband, in the eye and being like, I'm going to die. Like, I really thought I was just going to die. This was not happening. And it just kind of turned out the way it turned out, unfortunately. And I had a very similar experience where almost like a like a battle within myself because I wanted to call it so badly. I wanted them to take me into a C-section probably two hours before it actually happened. But I felt like that was the wrong thing to want. That was failing or being weak or giving up, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I I think about that a lot, that that poisoned my mind that I, you know, I was watching these things on Netflix about the the C-section rate being so high and, but that's what I wanted and that's what I knew that needed to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Do you guys feel that all of that has affected the journey thus far? Because we're all dealing with a lot of medical professionals now. (laughs) I don't trust a single medical professional. (laughs) 1,000%. It's like, we'll get a second, third, and like 20th opinion on this. Oh, (laughs) yeah. I am the queen of like at least third opinions. (laughs) Yes. And I know that it's not always the best thing to run to other parents because other parents are not doctors, but you're doctors of your own kids. And I've learned so much from just other parents who have had similar experiences with their kids. I'll go to an appointment and a doctor will say something and I'll run to a parent who I know has had a similar experience and say, what do you think about this? This is what they suggested. And I don't know, I always kind of lean on the other moms and dads to... Well, they see their kids and your kids as a child like I I feel like doctors it's a body right or it's a set of eyes or it's a brain or it's a heart or whatever and and they that's what they treat and so yeah I do think the parenting community is vital with that because they just see the the whole person yeah and and they're emotionally invested and I think our particularly when you're a parent of a disabled child I also think you find that you have to think out of the box with our kids and medical professionals often are way too much to the book you know yeah it's too medical and you just you can't you can't do it I've seen so many kids just get their growth stunted their development stunted because they're too stuck on textbook and you really do mm-hmm. need to think out of the box. And this kind of gets us into one of our main topics that we want to talk to you about, Jamie, today, social media and kind of that community of other parents, other caregivers. And, you know, I'm sure you had social media prior to having Asher, but what kind of started your journey in social media and sharing your family's story? Well, um, in the NICU, I'm like a like a researcher, so I like jump on the internet and I'm like researching with like first loss of oxygen. You know, I didn't even, didn't even know the HIE term yet, and I through research found the HIE Facebook group. So that's kind of where it started, just forums, just talking to other parents, and it was mostly through Facebook. And I had had like a, a an Instagram, just a private Instagram account. You know, after we took Asher home, I, I was struggling a lot with seeing other friends who had babies that were Asher's similar age. That was very hard for me. I ended up kind of going away from social media um, for a while there. It was just too painful, just with everything that we were 
kind of going through. Just a lot of, of unknowns and just his health status was not the greatest at that point. And so I just felt like social media, like I needed to take a break from it. Um, and then I just felt like ready to come back and to kind of share share our lives and share this boy who I loved so much and was so proud of. Um, so I actually ended up just starting like a family Instagram account just to, to kind of like show what our lives looked like. I had also had a couple of incidents where we were out in in public or like at a barbecue or something and there had been some sort of a, not a crisis, but a situation with Asher where maybe he's needing suctioning or having a, a vomiting or having reflux or something like that. And then just like all of the eyes on you where you can just feel it like nobody knows what to say. Nobody knows what to do. This is so foreign mm-hmm. to everyone around us because it's not something that you're exposed to on a regular basis. So part of me felt like, okay, well, this is very uncomfortable for me in these personal situations where in person with other people. So maybe I'm going to make a post about it. You know, this is reflux and this is something that my son deals with and this is what it looks like and it's okay. And, you know, you don't have to feel uncomfortable. So it kind of like evolved into this, you know, this is kind of part of our lives and you might walk into our house and see a bunch of medical equipment and it might seem totally weird, but it's totally not weird and it's very normal for, for us. And this is just everyday life. So, and I know that Asher, it's not his responsibility to educate the world on disability. And I don't ever want that to be a burden that we put on him. It's not, that is not his role in society to, to educate others. But on the flip side of that, it makes for a much more comfortable and natural and enjoyable situation when everyone's like kind of on the same page. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The way that you post and the way that your whole social media is it's you're not hiding anything because there's nothing to be hidden and I think that Mm -hmm. that's kind of really like the beauty of it it's like here's our existence as a family and this is what it looks like and that's okay and I don't feel that you use Asher or I don't want to say like use Asher but I don't feel like you put it on him that it's Mm -hmm. his responsibility I honestly just feel the way that you handle your social media that it's like here's our existence in the world as a family and this is what it looks like. I think that you split it evenly between both children. I don't feel mm-hmm. it's like Asher's Instagram. <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> like I, I do think that that can exist in the world but I don't feel like that's the case with you and so I always love sharing your social media of like we exist as families like we're interabled families and this is what it Mm -hmm. looks like and like it's beautiful and it's tough sometimes and same like you said we go out and sometimes reflux happens and that's okay and I don't feel like there's ever this hyper focus on Asher's disability or anything outside of just how your family functions. Well, thank you. And it's kind of been a a little bit of a journey. I I wouldn't say that it's been like so like cut and dry. I've had to like stop and think sometimes. And I I will say that my husband is very private. Mine too. In the beginning, yeah. In the beginning, that was a little bit of a point of contention. Mm -hmm. I wanted to share more. He really didn't want me to share. Mm -hmm. He felt like, you know, like a a sense of maybe overprotectiveness, Mm -hmm. you know? The world can be kind of ugly sometimes. And and so that we had to really find a balance. And, you know, there's been times where Asher's been maybe admitted or having some sort of a health issue. And I immediately like, oh, you know, there's so many people on Instagram that care about him and that care about our family. And they're going to want to know mm-hmm. that something like this is going on. And I really have to like stop and think like, no, 
that's probably not, you know, appropriate, or maybe I can share in a different way or not, not do anything that's putting him in like in a vulnerable mm. situation. So it, it is a balance. And I don't know, I feel like I've kind of created the, the page that, that I want for to, uh, an accurate d- display of our family without going overboard with too much of private private things that need to stay private. And yeah. that's the thing is that we speak to you, Courtney and I speak with you behind the scenes. If we didn't speak with you behind the scenes, you know, we wouldn't know the, the status of either child in terms of their health or school or anything, you know, about that. So it, it's just, mm-hmm. it's really... It's admirable. Thank you. Well, that's what she's I agree. trying to I feel the same way. Yes. <laughs> I feel the same way about both of you. And it's funny because anytime I, I like kind of go into that mindset of like, oh, I should share this. I, I have to do the same thing. I mean, I still feel like there are times that I overshare simply by just having my kids on the internet because that's kind of like mm-hmm. a whole other layer of things. Totally. But there are times when I'm even like, oh, do I really want to? talk about this even if it has nothing to do with health information it's like do I really want to talk about the lack of you know accessibility that we had today and like obviously Cyrus is the center of attention with that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so there's always this really delicate balance of trying to figure that out and it can be so exhausting sometimes because you want to share and you want to raise the awareness and you want to bring it to people's attention and you want people to see that it's normal and then you worry that that comes at the cost of your child and then there's the whole other side of is this going to reflect wrong to the disabled community like is it going to come off wrong to them because it always sounds worse when you're typing it out (laughs) I hate that that's true (laughs) that is always a thought at the front of my mind I you know I want to do job. It's, I'm not part of that community, and I only know I only have my perspective, which is raising somebody that I love has a disability, but I will never understand what it feels like to have a disability because I don't. Um, so it, it's yeah, it's my perspective, you know, as his caretaker, and that is very different from having a disability. So I really always try to just honor and respect that perspective. You know, I don't ever want to offend anybody. And where do you think the boundaries are? Because like I said, you post about both of your kids and it's so equal. It's such a like a level playing field (laughs) with both of them. And they're both, you know, interabled siblings. And I love that it's not just focused on Asher and his disability. So where do you find those boundaries? Um, Especially like you have a decent following on there and you've managed to get a good following by not divulging all of, you know, personal information about you or Asher or, or any of your family members? I think it's kind of tough. I, the, it's not it's not black and white. There's a lot of gray area when it comes to, to the boundaries. I don't know. I just try to just, I feel so proud of my kids, both of them. And I love my family so much. And as much as I can talk about, you know, the birth trauma and I've healed in a lot of ways from that. It's still present, but I just like, just love my kids. I'm proud of them. And I just want to share just like their beautiful relationship. So in our previous episode um, before this, we talk about that journey and how a lot of parents have this sort of progression and sometimes you overshare in the beginning and then you adapt and you change and you educate yourself and your social media starts to look different and maybe you pull back in real life as well as online. And when I think about your account and I think about the things I know about you, um, I always often think 
to ask you how you approach your family and your children and social media and that that automatic sort of protection and and how you really present yourself online do you think that was more of an upbringing from your family or maybe like related to your your background in special education do you find those affected it I mean clearly you also just mentioned that that your husband the way he feels about privacy definitely affected what you post do you think also your upbringing Mm -hmm. or perhaps your background uh, as a career also affects that probably I would say definitely my career I've just always I've been working in special education with people with disabilities since 18. On my 18th birthday, I went and got a job as a, a paraprofessional, so working as an aide with, you know, special education, and that's all I've ever done, really. So, yeah, I just think that that probably has played a large a large role in that. I just respect the community so much, and they have rights. But yes, I do. I think my background has played a huge part in that. And I think that's, that's so important is that exposure to these issues, the advocacy of it, the awareness of it is so huge. You know, so many of us have been thrown into the life of disability by having a loved one who is disabled and we don't have that sort of background. So we almost have to find our way there, you know, and and it's something really amazing that you do with your account because you kind of give that to the world back. It's something you've learned and you're kind of presenting it and giving it to all of us. I have to say a lot of what I've turned around on my own Instagram page particularly has been a reflection of what I see you post. And I think that that has that shows a lot of power, not that you're trying to be powerful in what you post, but it just shows a lot of power in, in the acceptance of disability and when you're involved in it and you're aware of it and you want to do better for the community there there's so much power in that and I will say to Jamie that behind the scenes on my account I have very few followers behind the scenes on my account you have come up between conversations with me and and a couple of disabled adults that I speak with and they've always just said how they love your account and good that means so much to me yes like I don't want to name anyone because I don't know if they want to be named but I've had quite a few people come up and 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 particularly when there was like kind of the thing the whole drama going on there were I just have to say I loved that we were able to like talk about that it really was great totally be on the same page but like we love each other we respect each other as friends and moms and I don't know I felt like it was like healthy I don't know it was was such a civil conversation there were I think so many good points made on both ends and then Mm -hmm. the conversations that developed outside of like you and I were Mm -hmm. so good and then there were people coming to my inbox and they were like Jamie is so great they were almost like is she trying to what she posts because she doesn't post anything wrong and I'm like I don't think so but you're right like she doesn't post anything wrong at all and they were like I love her account like I love seeing her family and like they've always said how the way you talk about your family and Asher and the way you share your journey has made them feel good as adults knowing that they've had parents that had to go through the same thing. Do you guys want to touch on what exactly went down with that drama? Because some people (laughs) might not actually know this, but there was some juicy drama between you two that didn't even exist. 
Like the whole. It did. But we, we feel the same way. Yeah, like all of yeah. Instagram. And that's what's like so funny. <laughs> uh-huh. that I was like, what is happening? Because, you know, know, again, we talk behind the scenes. So I'm like, why does it look like there's this divide between Brittany and Jamie right now? It looked like yeah. everybody put it out there that it was like you two going against each other. And it was so wild because it was the complete opposite of what was actually yeah. happening. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. we. I, I think, Jamie, that you and I have, like, very similar mindsets with, with all of this. So I, I did mm-hmm. kind of, like, sit back and was like, oh, this is, like, you know, funny. But it yeah. all started with me and because I am, like, too sharp-tongued and I put a story out there. I know Courtney and I touched on it with our last episode. But I posted a story on social media on Instagram saying how, like, if you have an account and your account is focusing on your child's trauma and, you know, disability and, and your child's journey, but then you're kind of talking about your journey, even though you're sharing your child's. And then I went into how it's like exploitation and that there are people out there that get, you know, monetary gains off of that. And there are. There are accounts out there. <laughs> they they do advertisements. It kind of, I, I do think I put it the wrong way. <laughs> I don't think I said it as as it sounded in my head. <laughs> well, you're passionate about it and sometimes yes. yeah. And it came off very much like I was attacking and I wasn't. That that wasn't it. I think when I took a step back and I rethought it and I like I you know, organized my words, it came off a little bit better. But yeah, I got a lot of messages <laughs> that day. Like I got a lot of hate messages that day about mom shaming. I think I just got lost in translation. And then Jamie, you made a, a post about um, like, you know, parents have the right to do, you know, make decisions for their kids. And then I like retaliated with another post and it just like, it kind of snowballed. But I think the conversations that came up from both posts were really important conversations to have. And I got I, agree. I got so many hate messages at first, and then I saw a lot of conversations happening on your post, and then it kind of got to a point where people were like, you're both making sense, and I'm rethinking about what I share online. And I was yeah. like, yeah, me and Jamie. Yeah. And you can do both. <laughs> you can share your journey you can you know without totally exploiting your child there you there's there's a lot more gray area it's not black and white it's not you know if you share your child you're bad you know if you don't you're good it's and I think our journey is important to share too I'm gonna die on that hill I think we have to talk about what we go through as parents and caregivers I think we do need to bring awareness to it because there is no support out there for us. I am a better mom mm. for that because of my my Instagram. Just the the people that I've met through there, and just how much support I get, and it can be so isolating too. And just for my own mental health, just connecting with other families who understand when we're, there's really nobody around here to connect with in person. Mm-hmm. So it it has made me be able to be a better mom to my kids for sure. And that's important. And you've helped so many people. You yeah. have been vital to my family when Cyrus got his G-tube. Cyrus was older. He didn't get it in the NICU. He got it at 18 months old. And you helped me so much when we were going through all of that to advocate for blended feeds. Oh, you are like the blending queen, Jamie. Oh my God. (laughs) I would not be where I am in my feeding journey either. (laughs) Mm Mm-mm. 
Mm-mm. Well, I feel the same way. I learned it all from, you know, moms before me. Yeah. It's, I'm telling you, mm-hmm. it, it's helping us all to be better moms because nobody tells you about blended food. Mm-mm. I remember somebody, that, that's children's hospital saying, oh, I've never, I've never had a patient who eats a blended diet. You mean you just throw the food in the blender and blend it up and feed it to your child? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot more awareness, I think, now with, within the medical profession with, with blended diet. I don't ever get any pushback or anything, but I know a lot of families do. And so, yeah, it's very, very helpful. There is a lot of good that can come out of social media, and there's a lot of awareness and education uh, that you can accomplish with it. And I think that's really important to acknowledge. So often we do focus on the negatives of social media, but a lot of where I am in my journey is the same. It's it's really being on social media has gotten me to that point. Yes, I, there's some messy stuff there. I'm sure you've mentioned before to our mom's group chat how you've gotten some brutal messages and you've had to deal with some really ugly things online. But then there's this this really heavy contrast of what you're talking about, the education and how that's even a blended food diet, as simple as that may sound, is life-changing to a child. Life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. You know, I understand that there are kids that need uh, specific diets and specific formulas, and I will never knock those. I am glad they exist. I am glad they're here for those kids that medically need them. But, you know, something as simple as a blended food diet is like... So and it's kids. such a sense of yeah. pride, right? Yeah. Like it, it really oh, so much. Right. And it really has this trickle effect. Like I always laugh because Jamie, you were the person that really encouraged me and helped me through the blending process. And then it, I kind of got the hang of it and then I would post about it. And then other moms would reach out to me and and ask me about it. And it, it this trickle down effect. Totally. And all of these kids are just living their best life oh they are thriving (laughs) they are thriving and every time I get a message being like can you talk about blended feeds I do direct them to you but then I'm always like (laughs) girl Jamie she's she set me up for success because (laughs) like Cyrus is a little chunky chunk (laughs) it's like the best way (laughs) yeah he has never struggled with me That's a beautiful thing, though. It truly is. (laughs) It is. And I just I think that it's just you're the perfect example of like doing it well, advocating, raising awareness, helping other parents, respecting your children, respecting their privacy and your husband, too. I guess, you know, we got to throw them in the mix. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just kind of learning as I go. And like you said, I've screwed up. There's been times where I'm like, hey, this weird thing is happening and no doctor can give me an answer. So I'm going to post a picture or video of Asher doing this thing, weird thing on, you know, social media so that other parents can give me insight or maybe somebody's seen it before and then I'll post it and five minutes later I'm like well I think this is probably I'm gonna delete it because you know this is showing him in a vulnerable state and it's it's not okay for his for his privacy I can figure out a different way to go about it and then I'll delete it and you know so it's I'm Sometimes we're going to screw up, like you said, and it's definitely an evolution. Yeah, I was a chronic, chronic oversharer at the beginning. I was like oversharer, hashtag special needs mom at the beginning. (laughs) I was was so bad with the hashtags. Uh, But I do have to say that the private groups on Facebook were a huge benefit. Yeah. Because 
especially now that I have stopped yes. oversharing, I really rely on those groups, especially the Hope for HIE groups that, that you mentioned yep. earlier. Always kind of leaning on those now when I'm looking for that medical advice versus just kind of blasting mm-hmm. it out there for the whole world to see. Mm, you know, yeah. but that's it. Mm-hmm. The, we mentioned this in our previous episode as well. It, it is a slippery slope because there's some funky groups out there where there's just not enough people moderating and it gets yes. it gets yeah. a little messy too. But for the most part, I think that's the way to go when you're looking for that sort of information and you want to divulge a little bit extra that you wouldn't normally divulge to strangers because mm-hmm. it, it, once you're in that community, I don't. I guess you, they just don't feel like strangers anymore. You know, we're all just kind of mm-hmm. in the trenches together. So it's a great place to feel mm-hmm. safe and feel like our kids are safe, at least to some extent. Particularly with the Hope for HIE groups, I really I trust them a lot when when I talk about Lino. So I'm sure you guys do too. I always kind of see us all mm-hmm. in there. <laughs> Pop it around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there are also different HIE groups. I, I didn't subgroups, know. Yeah. Like I there are subgroups. I, I kind of was just in the main one for the longest time. And then Jamie, I think you were like, there's this one. And I was yes. like, wait, why yeah. am I not in there? <laughs> I need to be in there. Mm-hmm. So for any HIE parents out there, uh, there are subgroups. <laughs> I do think that there are some private groups I'm not talking about the HIE groups but I do think there are some private groups online that like you said Courtney like they could kind of be a dangerous place they're probably not being moderated very well I think for any listeners out there who do want to kind of shift from the public posting to the private posting I do think it's good to be aware that some private groups can be very triggering. Mm -hmm. It is a safe space for people to post. And I would much rather be triggered from a private group than be triggered by something that's posted publicly online. But it can be very triggering. So just keep that in mind as you're scrolling through the private group. So from a social media perspective, what do you think the end goal is for you? What do you think you're trying to achieve with your social media presence, your public social media presence? Honestly, I just want the world to see how amazing my son is and to feel comfortable around him and to be, maybe they'll see somebody with CP at Target and, you know, feel comfortable enough to go up and say hi, or just, I just want there to be like normalcy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Just so many people just are, have no experience with people who are different. And, and I, and I know that that's, that's happening because I have people who have, have told me, you know, I, I, I love, you know, what you said about such and such, because, you know, I saw a little kid at the park and I encouraged my son to go up and say hi to him and things like that. I just want there to be just a more of a comfortableness um, when when it comes to Asher and just other other people with disabilities, you know? Yeah. Just we're all living on this world together. Yeah. Why why does there need to be this like strangeness? I don't know. No, but it's ever present. You know, I I travel a lot. I do a lot of things with my kids. I am out and about all the time. And maybe I make it look like nothing goes down, but we get the stares. You know, everybody's got a comment. Somebody says Uh, something under their breath or he's Mm -hmm. excluded. You know, nobody will include Lino. Like there's so much of that. And it's obviously it's isolating for our kids, but it really is also isolating as a parent. I think also having an an enabled body child is makes it even more apparent. You know, Mm -hmm. I see how people now treat Luca versus Lino. 
and it's it's like a gut punch sometimes. It is. You know, yeah. it's hard. Yeah, that's one thing that I when we go out in public, if I ever hear anybody when I have both kids come up to me and say, like, I don't know how you do it. And they're talking about Cyrus. I like shoot that right down because he's he understands that. And to kind of be like, oh, well, he must be a burden. But this one's really cute. I'm like, yeah. no, this is not our life. Neither child of mine. They are not burdens in any way, shape or form. And yeah, to experience that out in public when you have interabled children is really gross and not fun. Do you guys get the the I'll say, you know, my, my son is disabled. and Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh. yeah. That one. Every time. Every time. Like, that's that's what I want my Instagram page to show. There's nothing no. to be sorry about. No, absolutely what happened nothing. To my, what happened to our boys was, was a tragic thing that should not have happened, but they are perfect the way that they are. There is nothing to be sad about. You know, they're just little boys. And the thing is, is that they're not sad. They're, no, you know, not. like people, people project their weird feelings about disability so much onto our kids. And I'm like, have you met Cyrus? He is the happiest child I have ever met. I don't know that I've ever heard this kid freak out on anyone unless you're touching his wheelchair. He's so happy and he just loves life more than any other kid that I've ever met. I think Alden's getting there. I think he's still like too young to really figure it out. He kind of just loves snacks right now. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) Right? But like people just projecting this weird ickiness onto our kids. Or they just don't know what to say when you say, I have a child who's disabled. The first thing to say is, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, why is that a thing? Why? I don't get that. I want the yeah. I want the world to look at our boys the same way their siblings look at them. My God, oh is my that gosh. not like yes. the most perfect thing ever? Yes. Yes. That, that, yes. that complete perfection. There's just there's not a ounce a speck of judgment. They just accept. They engage. They interact, and it's just so magical. If you're on the fence mm-hmm. about having another child after having a disabled child, and you don't have any other children jump in just do it it. it's hard as hell i'm not gonna lie it was but it's worth it it is worth it it was so jolting going from one to two and having you know my first be disabled it was very awkward in the beginning i had no idea how to parent i felt like i was a first-time parent again actually it it is in a lot of ways i really felt like i did not have a child prior it was very bizarre and and it's still really hard adapting to it but my god has it been the most beautiful healing thing for me especially after the birth trauma it's just been it's so magical to see those siblings together I follow you guys and oh my god when I just watch those kids together I'm like the happiest person ever I'm like liking everything on Instagram I'm like heart 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 you know heart eyes everything you guys were the ones where I was like yeah yeah we're ready for a second (laughs) I remember just yeah just Because we were all kind of, I know you guys had your babies before Alden, but we were all kind of like on that journey together. And Mm -hmm. it was really nice um, just talking about it too. I think there's this really weird situation that happens when you have a disabled child, especially if that's your only child. I'm sure you guys can agree. We never heard that, you know, once the baby's three or four months old, like, when are you going to have another one? Yeah. That didn't exist for us. Everyone was, okay, you guys are one and done because clearly your hands are full. So when we ended up 
getting pregnant, there were so many people like, did you plan this? (laughs) As if our disabled children shouldn't have the amazing experience of having a sibling. I felt like people think it's selfish. Yeah. Uh, Oh, you're going to have, really, it is the opposite of that. It's so the opposite. Yes. They bring so much, so much positive to to our disabled kids, their siblings. Oh my God. Evie, can Evie just like dance forever for me? Forever. (laughs) Forever. She brings me so so much joy. Like I can't, I can't even explain, I can't express it. And I don't even know, I I can imagine how you feel (laughs) as her mama, because I sit there as, uh, she doesn't even know who I am. And I sit there and I'm like, yes, Evie, yes. I can only imagine how you feel when you're watching that. I feel the same way about you guys. It's And Evie and Luca are only a two di- two days apart. So they're like, literally, yeah. I, I'm watching Evie. You're watching Luca. And I'm like, yes, this is great. Yeah. It's so great. I know it's so nice to just, we're literally on the same journey, same path. Yeah. Same time. Yeah. Yeah. Which is Because yeah. all our boys are February. Yeah. yeah. Same year. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> And it's so funny to think back because Hope for HIE was one of the first, it, you know, groups that I was part of, too. And it's funny to sit back and think about it. And when we were reading up on things, you guys popped up and I didn't even know you guys at the time, you know, and it was just kind of I remember reassuring to sit there and be like, oh, they have babies too, going through the same thing. And not that I ever want anyone to go through it, but it just felt comforting to read your stories and to hear you guys asking for advice. And and I never knew at the time that we'd all be here four years later. (laughs) That's the thing. It's I, I desperately, going back to the NICU days, I wanted to see families that went, had, had what we had gone through what we went through and like, we're living still and happy. Yeah. yeah. There's a mom, te- her name's Tessie, and she's one that always sticks out in my mind because she's had like two more kids. Her son is a lot older. And I just like looked at them. I remember sitting bedside at Asher's little crib in the NICU and just scrolling through her page and just like, look at, they, they went through what we did. They were devastated. And look at how happy they are now. And it's all, it's just, I always say, and I remember I said it in the NICU, it's just your own version of normal. You know, normal is just this concept. There's really no such thing. <laughs> And (laughs) right. There's like no such thing. And it becomes your own version of normal. And I remember the doctors kind of sitting back and telling us what we could expect from the brain damage. Mm -hmm. And I remember just looking at him and being like, whatever it is, it'll just be our own normal and it'll be fine. And to see families that had gone through it and they just were so posting pictures so unbothered by like wheelchairs or you know talker devices or this and that and it's like yeah look it just it's their normal it could be our normal like that feeling of hope yeah for sure it's like a wheelchair isn't the worst case scenario and seeing that when you're hearing medical professionals kind of approach you acting like it's a worst case scenario but seeing families thriving with you know their wheelchairs and their oxygen tanks and you know their g-tube supplies and all this it's like wait these are all really good things (laughs) yeah and and you need that when you're in those moments where something happened that was completely unexpected, there is a grieving process. Yeah. I was devastated when you learn of your child's brain injury and they're telling you he will never do X, Y, Z. You know, you need you need to ha- see those families yeah. that 
that are not like in the trenches right. or, or sometimes maybe they are, but you know, that there's like joy because yeah. you feel like you're never going to feel joy again mm. after hearing just such devastating news, yeah. you know? And there's so much and joy. There is so much, joy. so much, <laughs> so much joy. It's so immeasurable, joy. honestly, but those dark days in the beginning, awful. Mm-hmm. <sighs> those are brutal. I think back to those, like, gosh, I can't, I, I never thought, I didn't, in those moments, I did not think that we would be where we are today. Agreed. Same. Same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolute same. I, I could never imagine what our life is now. Could never have imagined it. I, I don't know if I only imagined worst case scenario, but I think I disassociated so much that I just didn't imagine at all. For me, it was like, mm-hmm. well, tomorrow doesn't even exist. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I honestly often didn't even think down the line at all. (laughs) It was like, Mm -hmm. if I thought down there, I was going to go even darker. So just kind of cut it all off. (laughs) Yeah. Like a coping mechanism. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of the things that I do now when I either see new parents with their baby in the NICU, or if I know anyone personally, it's kind of like my thing now where I'm like, Oh, look at these accounts. My very good friend, her baby was in the NICU for a while and had a genetic situation going on. And the doctors were awful, awful. And oh my gosh, they were just like telling her these awful things and making it sound like a trach and a G tube is just no quality of life with that. And I just scrolling the hashtag of like, you know, the genetic condition and sending her accounts. And I was like, look at these families. These families are happy. Look at this 10 year old boy with his parents and they're traveling and they're going to London and they're doing this. And like, look at like, he's got a trach. He's happy. He's doing so great. And I think that really helps families just get out of it. And she was like, oh my God, that little boy. I love that little boy. That's going to be my little boy. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I just, I think it's a really important way to go, whether you know somebody who's in the NICU or you're dealing with it now, look for those accounts. I'm not talking about toxic positivity, but just the families that are existing in the world. And don't you wish that the medical professionals were looking at our pages more? <gasps> I do. Shame. All the time. Because that is just so inexcusable. I, I will say our, our neurologist that gave us the news, the dreaded MRI after cooling. I hated his guts for a long time, but I look back because he was giving me bad news. Mm. You know, it was not what I wanted to hear. Nobody wants to hear. No one wants to hear that. And yeah, I just remember him saying, you know, he's not going to do X, Y, and Z. And I remember just thinking, well, and I asked him, well, what's his quality of life going to be? And he said, you know, that's really, that's really subjective. And he was like, totally right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, just thinking back like that, that's, that's really true. It's quality of life is, is, it's what you make it. I mean, you That's can... That's so interesting. Jamie, can you stop paralleling my life? Can we just like stop that? <laughs> because the first thing, the first thing the neonatologist said when I said, well, what do you think is going to happen with Lino when they were trying to kind of give prognosis? And he turned around and he said, with parents like you, he's going to go far. That's all he said. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> We had what the heck? I know ours said the same thing. It was the sweetest thing, and I I loved our neonatologist because he had twins that were in the NICU. So he went through the whole NICU life, and he was super empathetic, and he was amazing. And I remember he came in after the MRI, and he was like, "Yep, these are the areas of damage. This is the possible outcome from it." And he was like, "But you love your baby so much. I see it." He's like, "I literally want to cry right now watching you hold your baby, and that's what's gonna make your baby thrive now." We had a neurologist. Uh, I hated our NICU neurologist too. (laughs) Awful. Absolutely awful. 
I think it was a resident. I don't even know if it was like an actual, it might have been like a neuro student. I don't know. Came in. I think it was day two of cooling. Cyrus was just on every type of sedative that you could imagine not responsive to anything and this neurologist was just like this baby is not gonna do anything this baby's gonna have no quality of life I still have his note saved (laughs) just so I can reread it whenever I want to feel angry (laughs) and like stick it to him because yeah yeah yeah. No, but it, it, it was a lesson that I don't think any of us were ready to accept or learn in NICU to be told that, you know, quality of life and the hope for your child is subjective. But when hindsight, when you actually sat and thought on that comment, it was like, oh, I mm, get you. Yeah. <laughs> you mm-hmm. get some bad providers for sure. For sure. And I think, oh, you know, yeah. the, the neurology aspect, just for listeners that don't fully understand HIE, a lot of the complexities of giving prognosis in, in, from a neurology perspective is the effects of cooling, I feel. There was so much not happening in terms of brain activity just because of cooling. But mm-hmm. they're just, mm-hmm. they don't even have any idea. They're just like, well, I don't know. Maybe your child will yeah. do something. Maybe <laughs> your child won't. Like, they There's have no, no reflexes clue. right now. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's like, well. Yeah, they're on every kind of sedative. sedative you're and... being cooled. Your, your body temperature's at 91 degrees. Like, what did, what did yeah. you want him to do? Get up and walk yeah, around? Like, exactly. he's <laughs> hours old, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it, yeah. it's a, it, I, I'm glad each of us had someone that said something that that kind of guided us on some path. But yeah, Nikki is rough, man. Well, and he wasn't wrong. No. Everything that he yeah. said, I mean. Yeah. It's really just about if you're ready to hear it. Like I, even when Lino's neonatologist said that to us in regards to us being good parents for Lino and, and giving him the best outcome, not Lino's health giving him the best outcome. I didn't accept that right away. It wasn't like I was like, oh, and like I didn't flutter my eyes and like was super happy. I was still like devastated. I'm like, why can't this yeah. guy tell me if my kid's going to walk? Like, you know, but yeah. that's all you want right then. You know, you want that black and white answer. You want, yes, your kid will. No, your kid won't, you know, mm-hmm. but you, you can't get that. And there is something to say about how you raise your disabled child and the environment, what you raise them in and how that projects how how their quality of life is there's a lot to say about that I think it makes such a difference too my husband and I were actually just having this conversation how the neonatologist that we had because he was like just love your baby and that's all that's gonna be it that's gonna make your baby thrive and I was saying to my husband how just hearing that kind of put me in this mindset of well the other things don't really matter and I think that's really important to hear early on because like my friend who was in the NICU she didn't hear that you know she was just told a trach is gonna be no quality of life you really want to do this really want to do a g-tube and it's like well what's the alternative Um, Exactly. And it's like, I think it can put somebody into such a terrible mindset from the get-go that that can follow family throughout their entire existence. And that's why it's so important for medical professionals to really provide hope for the families. Because if I heard from day one, your kid's not going to do anything and have any quality of life no matter what you do, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be the mom that I am now. And I sure as hell wouldn't have been the mom that I was coming out of the NICU. No, it's so true. Our our medical providers fail us. They really do. 
Yeah, but there are some gems out there. There and are. And guys, you can you can fire <laughs> your medical professionals too. Yes. You can fire. Don't forget, they work for you and no. your kid. <laughs> I once heard from another mom that a neurologist told her that she wasn't allowed to shop around for doctors. Oh, no, I've been not told. True. I have <laughs> been imagine? told this. So not specifically regarding neurology, but I had something very similar happen with physiatry. We. We had a physiatrist. Our first physiatrist was absolutely awful. (laughs) I don't even want to divulge what happened, but something very bad happened. And I called the facility and I was like, hey, like I need to switch doctors. And they're like, well, once you establish care with a physiatrist, you can't switch. And I was like, what the hell? But what is that? I don't even understand thought process behind that other than it sounds like they don't want to deal with whatever office politics happen behind the scene i don't know i think that's one of my favorite parts of uh advocacy is like just letting people know you can fire medical professionals (laughs) which i've fired many yes well i think we talked about a lot of awesome things And I absolutely am just so excited that you joined us today, Jamie. Uh, We love you so much. Thank you so much much. for having me. We just really do. We do. We love your account. We love your kids. I love everything, Jamie. I love you guys. So (laughs) glad that we bonded over, you know, it's the, it's the club you don't want to join, but you can't imagine life without, right? I'm so thankful for you guys. And honestly, I don't know where I'd be. (laughs) It's just nice to have you guys to be like, anyone else, you know, dealing with, reflux and vomiting tonight i actually think i'm closer to you guys than i am with like my childhood friends at this point oh me too (laughs) and if you guys if you listeners are not already following jamie i really do recommend you head on over to at the chong fam um she is just a great account and you will absolutely love just following her whole family including herself and uh thank you again jamie for being on so much yes Thank you for having me. It was fun. Our next episode in two weeks, we will be talking with Wes from Wes of Disabled Land. I don't know if you guys follow him online on social media. If not, you should. We will continue this conversation about social media and privacy and autonomy. And then we'll put a pin in it after that. So thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Bitching and Bolusing podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe for future episodes. Previous episodes can be heard on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. If you like what we said, please be sure to give us a share. You can follow us on Instagram at Bitching and Bolusing. And you can visit us at www.bitchingandbolusing.com.